Welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO show House of the Dragon? My name is Gretchen, and I use they, them pronouns, and I am here with Caroline. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm eating a Starburst. But I will be done with it soon. <laughs> I just threw that at you while you were in the middle of chewing. I got giant Starburst in my mouth. It's a red Starburst we were just discussing. Superior flavors, red and pink. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you like orange, stop listening to us right now. You're, you're, <laughs> you don't exist to us. You're dead to us. It's wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. Anyway, what are we doing, Gretchen? Um, well, today we are in the um, second of what will eventually be three parts of the chapter. Three parts of the chapters. <laughs> yes. Um, we are beginning at the bottom of page 156. Um, the very, like, literally the very last sentence on 156. Mm-hmm. And now, unfortunately, we must give some consideration to a certain distasteful book. Yeah! Oh, my God! Um... And we are going to be going through uh, the middle of page 167, um, right before we leave Queen Raina alone. So we are doing two of our favorite things today. We are going to be talking about a caution for young girls, and then the rest of the time will be spent talking about Raina. I love this section so much. <laughs> oh my god. I need HBO. Okay, the writers are on strike right now. Support the writers' strike. But when the writers' strike is over and they get paid real money, I need mm-hmm. them to adapt just this 10 pages. Into two different shows. That's all I need. That's all I want out of life. So, yep. let's get into this high-level summary. The Caution for Young Girls. What is it, Gretchen? Um, it is a book purportedly about the sexy adventures of one Corianne Wilde, mm. who, as we learned last episode, is one of Alisanne's, um lady companions, mm. a member of her court. Korean wild. We'd love to see it. Yeah, I mean, right. She's, she's you know, girl gone wild <laughs> in Westeros and Essos and literally all over this planet because she apparently had sexy advent- adventures everywhere. She did. And wait, can I read the, there's like a one paragraph description of it? Yes. So there's a paragraph on 157 right in the middle of the page that summarizes what's in A Caution for Young Girls. And it says, if the author's tale is true, parts of it strain credulity. During the course of her life, she found herself a handmaid to a queen, the paramour of a young knight, a camp follower in the disputed lands of Essos, a serving wench in Mir, a mummer in Tyroche, the plaything of a corsair queen in the Basilisk Isles, a slave in old Volantis, where she was tattooed, pierced, and ringed, the handmaid of a Carthian warlock, and finally, the mistress of a pleasure house in Lys before ultimately returning to Old Town and the Faith. Purportedly, she ended her life as a septa in the Starry Sept, where she set down the story of her life to warn other young maids not to do as she had done. Sure. That sounds like the coolest life story. Like, I mean, right. She had so much fun, and then she retired. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, and like, look, I don't believe that most of this happened. Oh, I do. I'm 100%. I am tinfoil hat. Everything that's described in it is completely correct all the time. But if it did, I want this for her. It's such it's a cool a thing. story. Right, right. I love the idea. And that also that this whole idea that it's like to one other young maids not to do it is kind of like a wink, wink, nudge. And it's like, wow, look, I had a lot of fun. 
You definitely shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. You definitely nope. shouldn't. Definitely, definitely do should not do have a sexy adventures all over the planet. Don't have nope. sexy adventures. Don't have sure sexy don't. adventures. Just stay at home. Mm-hmm. Listen to your with your husband. Yep. And have a bunch of babies because yep. my life was miserable. <laughs> Stares into the camera like I'm on the office. Exactly. Um, oh man. So yeah. So that's so, yeah. This is a very popular book. Yeah, well, the, the text is like, is like, oh, it's a bad book and only bad people read it, but it's also like mentions how many copies there are in existence, how much it's been passed mm-hmm. around, all this stuff. My favorite little detail is that there's like a, a maester who's like a specialist in like uh, bad books, and basically he's a specialist in pornography. That's like his job. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> he only studies yep. the bad pornographic books. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. What is, um, uh, what's his name? Master Rybin, the Citadel's foremost expert on banned, forbidden, fraudulent, and obscene texts. How how can I get that job? How do I become the the expert on porn? How does that happen? <laughs> yeah, I want to read all the banned books. Yeah, and the porn. Oh my god, that sounds like the best job. He's like def. How, how did he propose that to be his specialty? Right. How was he like? I think we know what we're really missing. Someone here who knows all the naughty texts. You know, someone should be the keeper of the knowledge of the bad books mm. so that they can tell everyone what not to read, right? Yeah. But that means they have to read it and study it and know it really well. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and it's a bad book, and we get a little hint that Baylor the Blessed apparently burned a bunch of these books when he was uh-huh. when he's king in the future. And it has to be kept under lock and key, and maids can't read it, and children can't read it, but everyone's read it. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, right. It's the, fi- yeah, there's some- it's the Fifty Shades of Gray of Westeros. Yeah. There's some, there's some like, maesterly snobbery going on about, like, oh, this is a, this is, like, a lowbrow book for the, for the poors for the to poors. read, but they shouldn't because it's sexy. Yep. Yep. And they're like, we He's don't know, we don't know it. how it could possibly, how there could possibly be so many copies, because only maesters and learned people know how to, to write, read and write and, like, make copies so mm-hmm. the people making copies must be like people that failed out from being a maester and like yeah like people that became drunkards and they're making copies so you can't really can't trust the copies that you read because they're they're not they don't have that kind of fidelity that the books that we have that we yeah. copy yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we don't ch- we don't change anything in books uh-huh. we copy them directly that's how we're trained but you know even especially the mummers the mummers that make the copies oh they just change They're everything. They're the worst. They're the worst. Absolute worst. Yeah. So he does that um, for ten pages. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really great. And I will. And I will. When we get to the analysis section, I will talk about um, my thoughts about what this is actually about. Mm-hmm. I have some. Thoughts. I know. I love your thoughts. Um. So, uh, the things that like he claims that we know are true about Corianne Wilde's life mm-hmm. was that she slept with a dude. Some mm-hmm. dude um, had a baby, had a, you know, quote unquote, bastard born child mm-hmm. out of wedlock mm-hmm. who was fostered within the Baratheon household mm-hmm. because she's from, you know, the Stormlands. Um, and then she was chosen to be Alicent's companion. He's like, this is what we know. We know that these things happened. Mm-hmm. There are records for these things happened. And anything else? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like, this is kind of what he says is this is what we know. Um there are rumors that Rogar's brother or even Rogar himself met her on the way to Dragonstone. We will talk about the mm-hmm. incident at the end of the ferry. 
um, to convince her to seduce King Jaehaerys so that he would decide to nullify the wedding. Uh, we will discuss later whether this is an idea that even makes sense. <laughs> it does not to me, but you know, we have established that Rogar I, is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm going to put myself out there and say I believe absolutely everything that's written about this book. That the, everything that happened, even it's contradictory. I think both things happened. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything that is in there, I want it to be true so bad. Uh-huh. I'm blinded by my zeal for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad at least you're willing to own your biases. Yeah, it's exactly. So, yes, I'm very about big self reflection. Lots of insight over here. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that's there's a whole discussion about the end of the fairy, which we will get into, mm-hmm. and then. We shift to our second, you know, like our actual favorite thing to talk about, which oh, is Raina. <laughs> Raina and Alyssa Farman just, just oh. pour it over me like boiling oil. I just want it so bad. Like, yep. Oh my god. Um, I, I, it makes me so happy. Everything's amazing. <sighs> yeah. So Raina's over at Fair Isle, and the maester, or one of the maesters that he cites to, even says like the her real love was Alyssa Farman. Like it just yep. says it in the text at this point. Yep. And uh, Alyssa's like this cool, swashbuckling, ocean lady, pirate lady. Mm-hmm. And you just did a cosplay of her, right? Yes. Yeah. If you check out our Instagram, uh, which mm-hmm. is F- Fire and Blood Podcast. House of Fire, House Blood, of Fire Podcast and Blood Podcast on Instagram. Podcast on Instagram. Yep. You can see, see my Gretchen's wonderful Alyssa farming cosplay. Um, mm-hmm. And Raina's there just being gay with and her other fr- and her other favorites, they've got a little gay polycule going on. Absolutely, fucking adore the best. <laughs> That's called the four-headed beast. So <laughs> four heads has the polycule. <laughs> well, that's the episode title. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew as soon as I as soon as my brain like figured that out, I was like, that's gonna be our episode <laughs> title. Boom, done. Don't have to think about it. <laughs> we got. We also have a theme here. We like the, the, we like such and such a thing has the other thing. Yes. Um, we love that framework. (laughs) Uh, while Ring is there, Dreamfire legs a clutch of eggs. I wonder if those will matter. Yeah. A few hundred years from now. Yeah. That's so weird. Don't worry about it. Don't think about the, that the fact that there are three eggs that the Lannisters want to buy specifically from, you know, don't worry about it. The only three eggs not hatched on, not, not laid on Dragonstone. I believe. Yeah. As far as we know. Un- unless the rumors are true that that um, Silverwing maybe laid a clutch of eggs at... Um, oh, where the, is it? Uh, up near the wall. Yeah. The Stark. So I cannot think of the name of the Stark household right Win- now. Winterfell? Winterfell. Oh, my God. <laughs> is there... I didn't remember that. I guess that's later on. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, that. there's like there's like a rumor that there are eggs at Winterfell. Um, but anyway, yeah, as of right now, the first eggs not laid on Dragonstone, um, is when Raina, um, Raina's dragon dreamfire lays a clutch of eggs on Fair Isle. So Raina and her, and her booze are hanging out on, uh, Fair Isle, and Lord Mark, uh, is fine with that. He's like, whatever. He's the Yeah, 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 yeah. Mark Farman, who is Andrew's father, Andrew and Alyssa's father, seems real chill. I like Mark Farman. He gives me big, um, even Star of Tarth vibes. Yeah. Because he kind of, like, the text is even like, look, he just loved his kids. Andrew was kind of a weirdo, and he liked yeah. Andrew anyway. And Alyssa was also, like, he tried to betroth Alyssa twice, and she scared the boys away. He said, okay, sweetie, be a pirate. I, that's fine. Here's a ship. Yes! 
yes oh my yeah. gosh that's exactly yes that's exactly very much like, what the even star yeah. does yeah and i'm like i like that i really appreciate dads that just love their kids he's like i love my queer daughter and my soft boy son yeah exactly they're fine they're fine whatever oh look a queen came here to marry both of them great <laughs> that's awesome that's fun. yeah but then he dies because he chokes on a fish bone <laughs> poor mark <laughs> mark with the q uh, i have to yeah. say r.i.p mark <laughs> uh and the new lord who's not andrew it's the older brother um frank frank <laughs> franklin his name is franklin but i call him frank in my brain yeah he says a- uh he says uh he says love is not love in fact nope um and you gotta go and reyna is like i so she leaves on dragonback to casually rock and frank tries to stop Alyssa from going Mm-hmm. And the denizens of Fair Isle say love is love. Uh-huh. And they attack yep. uh, Frank so that she can get on the boat and leave. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he ends up in a barrel of fish. Yep. It's real great. Yep. Fuck you, bud. <laughs> Fuck you, Frank. So she follows her girlfriend. Um, yeah. And they all go to the Lannisters. Yeah. And they go to the Lannisters because the Lannisters had supported um, Reyna when uh, Aegon the Uncrowned was fighting. I think she hid there for a while, right? Didn't she hide with the lances yep. for a hot minute? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she goes. So and, she she was like, yeah. "They're gonna support me because they supported me before," mm-hmm. and she was right. But also, they got schemey. Shocker. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They started being like, "Hey, what if you gave us some of those?" They're like, "Hey, you got some nice eggs there. We right. it would be nice if you gave us one." And she's like, "Nah." And they're like, "What if we bought it from you? What if we gave you so much gold you would drown? Please give us a dragon." Yep, and and also they were like, "You are you too gay to have fucked your soft boy husband? Would you mm-hmm. like to replace him with maybe one of our bastard-born children or one of our true-born sons?" Instead? Yeah, would you maybe like to have a less soft boy? Maybe <laughs> have one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Raina says, "Fuck, we gotta get out of here," and that's where our section ends. Yep. So yep. Ah, oh, I love her so much. <sighs> is so so good okay so let's talk about what the maester was thinking okay um there is not as much in this section to talk about what the maester was thinking so i am co-opting this to say what was george r, r. martin thinking <laughs> that's that's fair that there that line gets crossed a lot i think <laughs> right um so i want to talk about the theory that i came up with this is from the first time i read this book so mm-hmm. one thing to note fire and blood comes out in 2018 oh um okay yeah this is from 2018 the final season of game of thrones aired in 2019 mm-hmm. which means that it was probably being worked on while this book was being i on. did not realize that i thought fire and blood came out long before i didn't because i didn't read it till after the show yeah oh. it came out 2018 oh so oh oh george um, <laughs> Anyway, so the first time I read this, and if you've read my article on the fundamentals called The Top 7 Takeaways from Fire and Blood, you will be familiar with this theory. Because I thought the first time I read this, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this entire thing about a caution for young girls is Martin being salty about the way that Game of Thrones adapted A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. That he's not drawing correlations between, like, the specific events of A Caution of Young Girls, but all of the commentary that the maester has about how this book is adapting history and who likes it and who is writing it and how it's written is entirely shade that he's throwing at Dave and Dan. Yup. 
yep. about David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. That this is, this is This is his way to tell the world how he actually feels about Game of Thrones, the TV show, without <laughs> having to say it's about Game of Thrones, the TV show, mm-hmm. because he was probably still under contract, mm-hmm. that, like, he couldn't say anything directly, that this is one of those, like, Oh, an author found a way to write about a thing that they're unhappy with in their books, and this is why you don't piss off authors. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I think this the story of Caution for Young Girls does read so much like an episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes. sexy, it's wild, it's unbelievable, it's shocking, it's got schemes, uh-huh. it's got it's got meetings at the secret meetings of the fairy, with, you know, it has all these things. And, and while I hate that in the Game of Thrones, uh, or in Game of Thrones, the television show, rather, um, I, I love that as a concept here. <laughs> yep. Yep. So here, I will show, I, I will lay this out for our listeners who have not yes. read my article. Here's, here's part of what, this is the evidence I think of. Mm-hmm. The first and most blatant piece of evidence, page 157. Um, we have no way to ascertain the veracity of her story, nor even whether she was in truth the author of this infamous book. Some argue plausibly that the text is the product of several hands, for the style of the prose varies greatly from episode to episode. Since when do you call pieces <laughs> of a book an episode, George? He does refer to them as episodes, doesn't he? Uh-huh. Right. That that's like the most blatant oh, thing that I'm like, oh, you're calling these episodes, huh? Mm, what are you really talking about here? Um... And again, it's shade. Like the idea of like the style of prose varies greatly from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. What happens on a Game of Thrones? Some episodes are great, some are not, yep. because there are multiple people involved in the writers room. Yep. You've got lines like um how some of it strains credulity. Mm-hmm. It's distasteful. Um like okay, let's see if I can come up with some of my other ones. Um Oh, yeah, when when you were mentioning the way that he talks about the people who must have written it, you know, like, the most faithful scribes, you know, um, reproduce the original word for word. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, faithful scribes have a stricter adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, the scribes responsible for most likely septums expelled from the faith for drunkenness, theft, or fornication, <laughs> failed students who left the citadel without a chain, hired quills from the free cities or mummers, the worst of all. The worst of all. <laughs> Lacking the rigor of maesters, such scribes oft feel free to improve on the text they are copying. Mummers in particular are prone to this. <laughs> Um, in the case of a caution for young girls, such improvements largely consisted of adding ever more episodes of depravity and changing the existing episodes to make them more disturbing and lascivious. As alteration followed alteration over the years, it became ever more difficult to ascertain which was the original text. Yep. How do you feel about the adaptation of your books, George? I have no idea. Listen, this is directly to George R. R. Martin, sweetie. We agree, we agree with you. We hear you. We agree. We hear you. Your feelings are valid. We have an entire other podcast about this. It's called Unabashed Book Snobbery. Go listen to it. It's got Kylie and Julia that did some of the best analysis of your work uh, that exists on the internet. Uh, we, we agree. We agree with you. And I hope you're okay. We, mm-hmm. like, we like House of the Dragon. Yep. It's much better. Right? 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Um, that's absolutely just <laughs> like all of this just feels like it's it's, it's really just to me like blatant mm-hmm. shade and salt. He's so bitter about the way the Game of Thrones was adapted, and he has no other outlet for talking about it than just like making up this book that is an adaptation of a girl's life and talk and then using that as a vehicle to be like, well, some people are really bad at adopting things and, and they still, make things worse. And still. He can't help but write a story that sounds really cool. Yes! <laughs> like, he's still right? a better storyteller than, there, than mm-hmm. David and Benioff and Dan Weiss because I want to read A Caution for Young Girls exactly as described. I want to read it. Yes! It sounds awesome. <laughs> right? Like, I especially want to know more about um, the fact that uh, Corianne Wilde was essentially the was the plaything of a Corsair queen in the Basilisk That's Isles. what I want Tell to know. me all about that gay adventure. I'm like, the Basilisk Isles? How'd she get down there? Did she mm-hmm. meet Quake? You know, Kaife? How do you say her name? I always forget. Uh, I guess not, because Alyssa Farman hasn't left yet. Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe by that time, timeline-wise, it could could match up. Uh, yep. That would, I would fucking love this adaptation. Oh, uh-huh. like how cool would that be as a story? Because it's just a story about a girl who's not lowborn, but she's like, she's like your middle class kind of, you know, she's like a lady, I guess, but she's not like uh, of a high house or whatever. So right. like her story of like, and like how she gets around and oh, just awesome. I think it'd be so, what a cool, I would love, love to read it. Um, so the final thing that I will note that that feels like shade, and this is where I'm going to also, you know, have some, um, throw a little side eye at Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, this is on page 160. He says, amongst the small folk, there are always men of a lascivious character who delight in tales of great lords and noble knights despoiling maidens. For this persuades them that their betters share their own base lusts. And that, again, more shade, because Game of Thrones had a lot of stories about, you know, mm-hmm sexual violence and rape and all of those things yeah and i got there and i was like okay martin though you write about shit like this so like as much as you are casting aspersions and like really salty about the way that this was adapted you also have a lot of violence against women (laughs) martin may i introduce you to a plot line about a girl named jane pool uh may i may i suggest maybe we read the first few chapters of Daenerys' story in Game of Thrones. You know, like, that, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's that I problem. feel, yeah. yeah, it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, I get it. You're mad. You don't like the way they adopted it. That's super fair. Mm-hmm. But if one of your criticisms is like, they enjoyed doing violence to women too much, I'm like, eh, I mean, I agree. They did it. They were, they were reveling in the shock value of it. Mm-hmm. But also, most of those things are also in your book. Yeah. So I don't know that you get to just say... Here's the thing that's interesting, though. I don't like it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think... I, I definitely think this is him throwing shade at the show. But I think that the way he's framing this makes it like almost impossible to compare the story of um, A Caution for Girls to Game of Thrones directly. Because A Caution mm-hmm. for Girls is about Corianne Wilde. So ultimately, even if bad things mm-hmm. happen to her, it is about her agency and her power. Right. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what's so fascinating about it, the idea that a single woman from Westeros is traveling around and like doing stuff is right. not, not something we see, you know, with, mm-hmm. with a lot of our characters. 
or not they're not doing it successfully Arya's traveling around but she's pretty much just being carted from place to place by other people she's not traveling by herself for, for most of her story um so the idea that Corianne just went on like an adventure basically for her life is mm-hmm. really interesting and that then so the story like if if there was sexual violence against Corianne which there may very well have been at various points mm-hmm. part of her story is 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 innately about her own agency and regaining her agency and that kind of thing um mm-hmm. whereas Ga- game of thrones television show never had that as a point right you know it was it was the shock value mm-hmm. so even though he's right. inverse complaining about how this story the how how the george r. r martin is using his narrator to inverse complain about a caution for young girls being about sexual violence for the shock value in order to critique Game of Thrones, but even the story of Cause of Young Girls that he describes is not as bad as right. what happened in Game of Thrones. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, they're really right. not, they don't really correlate. Mm-mm. No. Um, so, yeah, I think that, like, I mean, you really want all of these events to be true. I do. <laughs> so, we're going to shift over. That was all I had to say about what the maester was thinking, and that's really what George R. R. Martin was thinking. Yes. Um, I mean, we can talk, like, yeah, we don't even need to talk about the heterosexuality goggles because by this point, like, the maester cannot plausibly have them anymore. Yeah. Um, oh, when we yeah. get to Reyna, it's just, like, all of the goggles are off, and he's like, well, I guess I have to admit that she's gay. Yeah. But um, it's okay because now she's becoming spooky scary. Yeah, that's because fine. Because yeah. this is the same chapter where it's like, well, maybe I should have inherited and, like, these things. So, mm-hmm. like, it's okay if she's uh, if she's gay now because she's spooky scary and bad. It's just bad for us. Yep. Yeah um so yeah you really want these things to be true okay so what really happened my first question in what really happened is that where we're, we're going now we're, yes okay. we're gonna go to what really happened so when it comes to caution for young girls um my first question is do you think she had sex with someone consensually initially or do you think there was a sex assault because i think i could go either way and that colors the story I could go either way. Um, I think that the, and it would mean different things for how I read Caution for Young Girls, Mm -hmm. that it could be, like, if she were assaulted, and even if some of the events happened and not all of them, like, even if she had some of these adventures and not uh, others, like, who knows Mm -hmm. how many, there is a way to read that as a reclamation of sexual assault and a finding of sexual agency. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Or she was always had sexual agency and this is just a continuation that like she she reached a point where she was like, all right, like I am a woman who enjoys having sex. Um, Westeros is clearly not the place for me to be mm-hmm. for that to be true of me. So I'm going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like either of those th- two things fit. Yeah, I think both are interesting. I, I mean, I prefer I always prefer a story without a sexual assault because it's nicer. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And thinking that like Corianne, which is sort of imagining her as someone who was like always confident in her character and her her body and her being is something i i like because i i like that kind mm-hmm. of story but i think it's more complex if it was if it was sexual assault and she's ultimately like the one punished for that mm-hmm. you know in the sense of like you know she's forced to have this baby which like why didn't they just moon tea her up like we have magic moon tea so we could have mm-hmm. moon teed her up but um she's forced to have this baby and then he's sent away and then she like it from a westerosi point of view it ruins her life 
quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But from a modern right. perspective, it kind of sets her free in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's a really complicated message if that starts as a sexual assault story. Right. Because it gets into that, like, you know, you've been made better by, you know, you're, you're stronger now kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a really interesting story arc and, like, a reclamation, like you were saying. And it's very complicated to write. I kind of, I kind of prefer the more complicated story. Uh, but it's, it gets sticky. It gets stickier. Mm-hmm. But either, either one works. I, I was wondering what you thought yeah. about that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think either one works. Um, I lean slightly more towards consensual. Mm-hmm. Just because I've always, I am frequently very skeptical about whenever it's like, a highborn lady was seduced by a stable boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm whenever I see something like that, I'm like, oh, it was consensual, but you just cannot imagine like a highborn woman wanting to consensually fuck a peasant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in ways that remind me, like a lot of that narrative often reminds me of the ways that like, um, sexual relationships were talked about in like the antebellum South. Mm-hmm. That like, um, you know. The relationship between enslaved, between like black men who were enslaved and women of the household, mm-hmm. like daughters of the household, it was always framed as sexual assault. Yeah, um, because they could not imagine like a you know like a like a perfect pure white lady wanting mm-hmm. to consensually have sex with a black enslaved man. Like that, I'm I'm so skeptical of that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, like I do think there was a power dynamic, but it was probably that the that the white woman had the power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm so skeptical of that, that when I see anything that reminds me of it, I'm like, is it sexual assault or can Mm -hmm. you just not imagine a wealthy lady wanting to have, A, having sexual agency and B, using that sexual agency to sleep with someone who is not also highborn? Yeah. I do think it's like, it's not impossible to tell the story, but again, it's, it's, you have, I mean, you have to carefully tell the story of a woman who is sexually assaulted and then recovers her sexual agency through having lots of sex mm-hmm. um i think that's a bit so like like one story that i always kind of strained a bit of credulity for me was taisha in a song of ice and fire because taisha mm-hmm. is almost raped Tyrion and jamie save her and then within 24 hours she's sleeping with Tyrion, and uh-huh. she really was just a crofter's daughter who right. was just almost gang raped and it's it's always been kind of hard for me to imagine, like, you just went through the trauma of, like, being almost very seriously attacked, and your response to it is to turn around and immediately, like, be sexual with someone. It's not impossible, but it's it's it does make me, like, put a question mark there. That reads so much like a male power fantasy of, like, oh, yes, I saved a woman from sexual assault by other men, and so she would... Yeah. She would definitely, she would definitely, definitely want to reward me with sex with her right it's not again it's not impossible yeah it's not like so like crazy out there but it's like it's i think it's a harder story to write you know Mm -hmm. Uh, right but i mean like some of the things that she does in a caution for young girls so because like 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 if she was you know say like you know her her first experience with sexual assault she doesn't become sexual again until it says she becomes a paramour to of a young knight so mm-hmm. maybe it was quite a while later 
and maybe they right. were in love or something like that. You know, like maybe there was mm-hmm. something. Maybe she does regain her sexual agency in that way. And right. um, I, I mean, it, it could be interesting either way. Yeah. Um, but what do you think happened at the ferry? You think? Uh... Oh my god! <laughs> yes, let's talk about the, the the in at the ferry episode. Um. Okay. So, according to a caution for young girls, um, she, um, let's see if I can find, um, she like there's this episode called like the inn at the crossroads. Um, I thought it was the inn by the ferry. Inn by the ferry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The inn by the ferry. So, like, supposedly she's on her way to go become the handmaiden of of Queen Alisande. And she meets a dude at the inn at the inn by the ferry. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this could be Boris Baratheon, who is Rogar's next younger brother, or it could be the Lord Rogar himself. Mm-hmm. And he, whoever this man is, you know, dismiss it says dismisses her father and brother, um, makes her take all of her clothes off examines every inch of her body mm-hmm. and is like you'll do okay new job mm-hmm. seduce king jaharis so that he will set aside alisan and and the wedding and the marriage mm-hmm. um and if you do if you do that if you are able to seduce the king and he sets aside the wedding we're going to give you lots of money and favor and um uh like okay. you probably won't get married to him. Yeah, you can't so be queen, just gonna, but you can't be queen. But we'll give you lots of other stuff. And look, if you get with child, poof, awesome, yeah, great, and yeah, yeah. and if Queen Allison finds you a bed, even better, right, right, yes, because then she'll um, definitely leave him. Yep, yeah, then she'll definitely leave him, and you'll be richly rewarded. Um, okay, so this, so, so this meeting by the fairy, a hundred percent true, a hundred percent Rogar Tiger, uh, Rogar Baratheon, a hundred percent. I'll die yeah. on this hill. <laughs> I also believe that this happened. <laughs> what do you think he was doing looking at her naked? Mm. I think that he was... Okay, so a part of me, I don't know if this is true, but my gut instinct is like, well, he wanted to see how sexy she was because he would decide, well, if I want to fuck her, then Jaharis will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that could be true. <clears throat> I think um, he was looking for the pox. He was looking to see oh, if she right, had Oh, right, yeah, STDs. that makes sense. Yeah. Because right. he didn't want to give the king STDs. Right, that, like, if she really had, which I also believe is true, that she had sex somehow, mm-hmm. got preg- had, a, had a bastard child, mm-hmm. and... Um, that, like, yeah, that, like, if he believes that she's had sex before, mm-hmm. then he will want to make sure that she doesn't have an STD. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Because Rogar Baratheon is just a bro, all right? He's just looking out for yeah. his bro, son-in-law, son, stepson, right. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he's just making sure that he's sending him someone to seduce him away from his lawful wife. But who doesn't have any STDs? He doesn't want to ruin, doesn't want right. to make, make things bad. <laughs> right, yeah, he doesn't want to give the king, you know, syphilis or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, there is part of this tale that says he also had sex with her. That I don't believe. Yeah, I don't think that, so. Either. That one I don't believe. But this is yeah. so totally 
the kind of shit Rogar Baratheon would do. Absolutely the kind of thing that you would do. How on character is this for him? Where Alyssa is like, we're gonna, like, what's done is done. I'm gonna send these ladies. I'm gonna start appeasing the faith and start the Targaryen propaganda train so that my kid's marriage is legit. Rogar Baratheon's like, I'm going to send someone to seduce the king. (laughs) Right. Yep. Um... Yep, and uh, that brings us to the point about, like, also very on brand for Rogar. This is a terrible idea. Yeah? (laughs) This is really dumb. Like, that's the other thing that I was thinking about this was, like, okay, what did you think was going to happen? Excuse me. Mm -hmm. So, Jaehaerys is a man-made. I I guess not. Which you yeah you noted oh rogar's like well listen he's a man-made it's like oh my god how gendered is your life that this is what you say (laughs) right they don't have a male specific term for someone who has not had sex because the idea that someone that like a teenage boy would not have sex just doesn't even cross their mind right yeah like men can't be virgins virgin is the word for women who has never had sex but they don't have like a male specific gender term right exactly because double standards under patriarchy yeah um and then he says, like, he's a man made like as not and besotted with his sister. But Alisan is not a but Alisan is a child, and you are a woman any man would want. Once his grace tastes your charms, he may come to his senses and abandon this folly of a marriage. Excuse me? <laughs> what? <laughs> he's gotta taste her charms. There's a lot of charm like, charm tasting up in here. I am just trying to imagine Rogar's train of thought of like, okay. You know what would be a good way to break up this marriage? Have Jaharis fuck someone with sexual experience. Yeah. Because clearly his reaction would be like, oh, I should not be married anymore? Like, I don't understand how this logic works in his brain. I'm trying to make sense of, like, why this was a plan. But then I'm like, okay, it's Rogar Baratheon. Like, he's a bro. Like, Right, exactly. It's a, it doesn't, he didn't think that hard about it. It's, but it's just so funny to me because I'm like... the. Why would Jaharis not be like, I don't know, now I like now I have cool, a now I can fuck now I have right, yeah. exactly. Like why would having sex with someone with sexual experience make him end his marriage? Why would he not he is the king of Westeros? He could just be like, cool, like mm-hmm. I now have a mistress with sexual experience. That's great. Awesome for me. Yeah. What if he's not going a, to make him end his marriage? What if he takes a second wife and ruins your whole like ruins the whole thing even worse? You right. Know? Right. Like, Rogar did not think very hard about this and was like, oh, I, you know what? This is great. Super great. And like, no one was there to be like, so, uh, Rogar, I don't know if this is going to work. This the way is what you happens when work. you don't listen to your dragon and or boat wife. Okay. Right. You have to, yes. let, you have to have a smart dragon and or boat wife to, to right. know what's going on. No, and I, and I think the fact that like, I, I think the fact that Corianne had that bastard child and the child was fostered by the Baratheons. Mm-hmm. and that she's being sent as part of this crew and it is weird for a girl yep. who's been that's the that's another despoiled, question despoiled to be sent so i uh-huh. do think this happened because it doesn't really make sense otherwise for her to, for her specifically to have been included in the group right if that wasn't if that wasn't rogar's goal like i'm sure that Alyssa had no idea he was doing this dumb shit but no um if that wasn't Rogar, it was probably Rogar who put her name forward. And he might have known about her bastard child, but Alyssa might not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's 
a favor from the from that house part from the stormlands to strengthen these ties etc yada yada so uh i i do think this happened i do i want mm-hmm. I, I believe and i want to believe <laughs> yep yep agreed that like if Rogar didn't do this, someone understood Rogar Baratheon so well that they wrote a very plausible yeah. story for thing for him to have done. That like this fits ex- this is ever I would absolutely expect this of Rogar Baratheon. Mm-hmm. So if someone made this up, it was someone who knew Rogar Baratheon very well. <laughs> who was like, "What would Rogar Baratheon do?" Oh, oh the dumbest uh, thing. <laughs> the dumbest thing, like the really dumb thing that like, why would it work? Because, like, in his brain, that's all he can think. Mm-hmm. Like, this is as far as his brain goes. Yeah. Is, like, well, clearly, if man, if a man has the good sex, he will set aside the wife who probably does the bad sex, right? Right. Exactly. That is what he would do. Yeah. And maybe genuinely, to Rogar Baratheon's credit, maybe he genuinely was like, no one's attracted to a 13-year-old, so he'll be attracted to this real woman. Like, or this adult, mm-hmm. this adult woman. And uh, I'm, if he thought that, good for him. That I, right? I, I yes, want, good for you. That's what we all should think. Yeah, right? I, I agree with you. If right. that is what you were thinking, Rogar, I agree. Je- I wish no Jeff Harris thought be... that. <laughs> right? Um, is my yep. sister too young? Said Jeff Harris Targaryen never. Um, right, yeah, because, like, I am really interested if the possibility if, if Alysanne put forward Corianne Wilde, but I can't think of a reason. I don't know if she would know about her. Al- right. Alisanne? I mean, I, I mean, yeah, or not Alisanne, Alyssa. Oh, Alyssa. Yeah, like, I was trying to come up with a, like, is there a way that Alyssa could have picked Corianne Wilde She's for her own reasons? Frozen. But, like, I can't think of anything. Like, she had to, I feel like it, it's really unlikely that Alyssa wouldn't know, because she was living with Rogar. She and the kids were living with Rogar. Um, mm. for a while. That I, it seems kind of unusual to me that, like, if she had been living with Rogar... During Magor's reign that she... I mean, I guess maybe it happened afterwards. But that she would not know about Corianne's... You know, that she had had a, a baseborn child. And so I was trying to think of, of mm-hmm. like, okay, well, if Alyssa knows about this, mm-hmm. is there a reason that, like, under the framework that Alyssa is not, in fact, trying to undo? Um, well, maybe maybe it's just that maybe Rogar or Alyssa would have thought about it as like, well, you know, we agreed to foster her bastard and we're still looking to like give her like a good marriage at some point because mm-hmm. we like she's like one of our subjects kids. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to make sure she doesn't become like a prostitute, basically, or a sex worker or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll include her, you know, as well in in Alisanne's court which will benefit her and then she'll get to be with these other ladies or whatever and she'll get like that social clout but will also help in our goals which is to spread the good word of how great Alisanne and Jaharis are but from, mm-hmm. from Alyssa's point of view it could just be that right you know right. but then Rogar's like I have a scheme mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the smartest boy yep I am so sneaky um so I had the next question I had was like, why did anyone even write a caution for young girls? Like, why in universe? What is the Watsonian reason that this book was even written in the first place? Like, did it come from this curiosity of like, why would someone 
who is not a quote-unquote virgin, according to our patriarchal feudalist standards, mm-hmm. be the companion to the queen? And, like, a, like a kind of, I who think- is this person? And so we must create, like, an adventurous life for her. Like, I'm just curious. It's like, why did someone write this? Or several people write this? Like, where did this come from? So I think the, I think the question is more, why did people read it versus, so I think it was written because Corianne lived it to a T and all of these events happened. And she wrote her own biography, obviously. <laughs> so I do think Corianne wrote it. Um, the question would be, why did people read it and keep copying it? And, and embellishing it. And embellish. Oh, no, all of it's exactly true, exactly how it's written. <laughs> I want it to be true, Gretchen. Let me have this. <laughs> um, I think it just was popular because it was so spicy. I think they were. there's not a lot of books like this. There's not a lot of books to begin with in Westeros. Mm-hmm. There are songs. There's lots of songs about maidens and knights, and there's body songs and stuff like that. But, like, a story, and, like, there's certainly oral tellings of stories. And there's uh-huh. tellings of histories. People talk about, like, the, like, the modern um, A Song of Ice and Fire characters talk about Queen Visenya and Rhaenys, and they'll talk about the Targaryens and stuff like that. But, like, this, this is such a unique story. It's a story of, like, a woman who's doing all this shit. It's sexy, spicy shit. And mm-hmm. it's not like a highborn, it's not like the story of a princess or a queen or, a, or whatever. It's like someone who's similar to a small folk. She's, she's mm-hmm. not small folk, but she's similar to. Um, I can imagine it being wildly popular just because of that, just because the perspective being uh-huh. so different. And certainly one of the things being, well, how does a girl who has a bastard child, like, as a very young person, has a bastard child become handmaiden to the queen. And then what happens? And then, you know, thus episode after episode kind of spirals out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, ha- I have some thoughts about what, what I think. And you are allowed to disagree with me. You, I think you, think, you, will. you think it's exactly as written, just like I think. We have one brain, Gretchen. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, okay, so I have a couple thoughts. Some of the things that I like about what you are saying is the idea that, like, perhaps the maester, I like the idea that there may be some maesterly bias in the idea that, like, this clearly couldn't have happened and it must be the product of, like, horny, drunken maesters mm-hmm. who want to make things worse. Precisely because... I'm going to backtrack in my in my theory. So the final tone of the book is that this is called a caution for young girls. And so, like, the way that the, the maester is describing it is, like, this whole book is supposed to be about, like, moralizing about sexual purity under Westeros. Yes. Except that it adds all of these, like, sexy, saucy tales. So, like, I like the idea that, like, the only way that, like, Archmaester Gildane can understand a book like this is to be like, well, some horny dudes made it up. No woman would ever actually do all of these things. Like, especially not have this much sexual freedom and agency. Why would that ever happen? So a bunch of horny dudes made it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Um, so I'm leaning more and more towards at least a lot of this is true. Um, maybe not all of it, but I think a lot of it is true. Um, I also like the idea that she wrote a memoir that Corianne Wilde had a lot of these adventures. I don't know about all of them, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these adventures... And wrote a memoir, and that the final purpose that the what has been embellished is in fact 
the final moralizing tone. Oh, I love that. Rather than the actual sexy adventures. That, like, she wrote a memoir, and either her editors at the Maester of the Citadel were like, you cannot publish that unless your final note is, and also please don't do any of these things. Mm Mm-hmm. Or potentially there's a there was an original version of the book that did not have that tone and the mace and the maesters added that later mm-hmm. to be like, well, this is super mm-hmm. popular and if everyone's reading it, but we can't let them think that this is good and okay. So we have to add in this final tone of like, and she became a scepter and yeah. renounced it all and and this is all bad. Kind of like in the like not exactly the same, but similar to like what how barrier gays became common in mm-hmm. media, which was like they were not allowed to tell happy stories about queer people because um, they didn't want anyone to, th- to get the idea that it was like a good thing to be gay. And that's mm-hmm. that's the actual history of the whole idea of barrier gays ba- back from like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, was that like you can't tell a story about queer people and let them be happy because then people would think it was okay to be gay. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that, like, that's a part of what's happening here in a similar way of, like, she wrote, like, a sexy, like, a memoir that's like, look at all the sexual agency I had. And it was fun. And mm-hmm. it was great. And I had a wonderful time. And the maesters are like, no, you can only publish that book if you end it with, and this is bad and you should never do it. Yes. I love that. I love the concept that that is the embellished portion. And yep. I think that is supported by the various titles the book mm-hmm. had because Ooh, before yeah. uh-huh. it landed before it landed on a caution for young girls it's on page 157 um or the a caution for young girls is the subtitle right it's like the sub but yeah the subtitle it's uh-huh. known it's first known as sins of the flesh uh-huh that's not a cautionary tale that's no, about sexy that sounds, times that sounds kind of sexy the high and the low that's about you know being with high-born people being with low-born people whatever uh-huh a wanton's tale uh and the wickedness of men that's yeah that sounds super if you, you know. put a title like that on a book that's written by a woman about her sexual agency that's like a spicy title yeah yeah and th- but that's a like look what men are trying to keep you from maybe maybe the subtitle of caution for young girls was added <gasps> or it's possible that a caution for young girls has like a, a double meaning that the caution, if it, that if the caution could be the caution about, is the caution about don't do this? Or is the caution about this is what you're told not to do? Be aware of what the people are telling, like, be cautious about patriarchy oh. because this is what they're trying to keep you from. Yeah. Like something called the wickedness of men, a caution oh, for young girls. girls. Could yeah. sound like patriarchy is bad, okay? Be aware of what you're being told, of what you're missing out on. Yeah. That works for all of them, actually. Sins of the flesh, yep. the high and the low, and a wanton yeah. tale. That works for all of them. Yep. Yeah. That oh, caution, I like, like it. It, caution depends on what you're cautioning against. And there's no necessary reason why the caution has to be of, like, don't do this, okay? Right. And the thing about her becoming a septa, like, I do believe she did, but this, uh-huh. but because, like, I don't think she suddenly had like a big religious revelation. It was like, I've been wrong. I must repent. I think she was a woman who was in the patriarchy system, was unmarried and was getting older and -hmm. wanted like life stability. And therefore she became a nun. I mean, and then they, you know, if you become a nun, they house you, they feed you, they pay for your education, they pay for your healthcare. You have, I mean, you have your community to live in. You don't have to be married. You don't have to deal with men. And, you know, you can just like retire peacefully and that's what she does so that right. makes a lot of sense 
mm-hmm. you know, given her story. And we actually have, yeah, that, we don't like, know she'd... how old we don't know how old she was when she became a septa. Mm-mm. No, but she could have had sexy adventures until I mean, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s. She could have yeah. been pretty old and just had a bunch of adventures for her whole life, and then was like, yeah, you're right. All right, I'm getting pretty old. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not as young as I used to be. I don't really know that I that I need to have any more sexy adventures, and I want stability. And the only way to do that is to join the church. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she doesn't have to do it because she's deeply religious. She could just say, um, I am now religious. Yeah, um, uh-huh, the whole faith of the seven thing. I renounce my sexy ways. Please plus, give me a house and food and take care of me for the rest of my right. life. Right, plus there's undoubtedly a good amount of lesbianism happening amongst oh, yeah. the septas and amongst nuns in real life yes uh, oh yeah. yeah and but amongst the septas i mean it's like the easiest way to have access to uh, lots of women who don't have husbands and might be sexually frustrated and hey if you had sexy adventures maybe you know a thing or two of mm-hmm. what to do you know right um from many many years ago i did a podcast called history is gay um, with my friend Lee about talking about queerness and history. And one of our episode- episodes is called Cloistered Queers. Oh. So if you are interested in that, you can go back and listen to our episode about queer monks and nuns. Ooh. About how gay a lot of them were. I should go with um, that. Was it called History is Gay? History is Gay. Oh, I should And about um, one of the nuns who had an arm-sized dildo. And I love that for her. Good for her. Good for <laughs> her, you know? Yep. Sins of the flesh, a caution for young girls. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I the more I the more we're talking, the more I really like the idea that like See, I told you it happened. She did most, if not all, of these things and and wanted to write a story about it. And like it was the editors who were like, the only way you can do this is if you tell people they shouldn't do it. And that the tone of it was like, Yeah, don't. Mm-hmm. Sure, don't go off and have sexy adventures in the world. It's bad. Please bad. don't it's very, very bad. You know, like, like even, like, the, the one quote they have from the book of what she's describing, how Rogar um, uh, uh, put his hands on her, on page 159, she writes, uh, He ran his hands over every part of me and bade me turn this way and that and bend and stretch and open my legs to his gaze until at last he pronounced himself satisfied. Like, that could be really scary, you know, mm-hmm. if you, you could read that in a very scary way. Um, uh-huh. Or that could be a very sexy thing. Like, you know, he ran his hands all over me. He's like, oh, okay sure mm-hmm. I, you know that's, that's fine so right. you know it's it's depends on really i guess the point of view of the reader so yeah i mean she could write it as like mm-hmm. oh and then i became the corsair to a, a queen in the basilisk isles and i lived in the hot basilisk isles in the jungle with all the butterflies and fruits and gold and jewels and but it was sinful bad you know like hmm. yeah was it bad 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 was it bad was it bad bad? bad? right like it is one of those where like you go into really graphic detail about how much fun you were having and then the end of the book is like don't have as much fun as i had yeah (laughs) i I had a really good time and all these adventures but no but it was against the gods Ugh. right right darn And I realized, looking back on it now, I realized the wrongfulness of my ways. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think she meant it. So anyway, you won me over, Caroline. Woo! <laughs> one brain. I really one want, brain. I really one want brain. This, <laughs> I really want this to be the version where, like, yes. she did do all these things and it was the men who were like, you cannot tell all the women how much fun you have having sex. And I'll say how it. I'll say it again. 
to the to the people from HBO, I'll send it out into the ether. How cool of an adaptation would this story be? That'd be really cool. Right? Mm-hmm. It would be the sexy story they wanted Game of Thrones to be, but because it actually centers the woman and her, if you write it correctly, and you center it about her gaining agency and independence and expressing her mm-hmm. sexual agency to do these things, it would be so fucking badass. Not only does she interact with Allison, but you could have her interact with like the triarchs and stuff in Westeros, in Essos rather. You could have you could have her inter- interact with so many main characters, uh, right? Or you know, like it'd uh, be like Forrest Gump, but with like a woman with sexual agency. At the yeah, time. smart, a smart, clever woman with sexual agency instead. Exactly, exactly. Being the handmaid of a Carthian warlock, I mean, she could have adventures that tie into Daenerys's war- uh, warlock adventures later. She Notice how she's climbing the ladders of power through, like all mm-hmm. that. Like there's a through line in the adventures that she's having. That she's so first she's a handmaid, mm-hmm. then she's a she's um a paramour mm-hmm. of a knight, then she's a camp follower, then a serving wench, then a mummer, mm-hmm. then a plaything, then a slave. Well, I don't know how much of a slave she was in Old Volantis because I don't really know how slavery works there. But like mm-hmm. then a handmaid and finally the mistress of a pleasure house. That like this also sounds like the story of a woman who is finding her way to having power. Yeah. And by I would attaching love... herself to people with increasing amounts of power. And I would love things like a camp follower in disputed <clears throat> lands. Was she a camp follower or did she like mayhaps dress up as a man and pretend to be part of the company? Right. You know? Yeah. What, did she maybe do some fighting? She, we could have some sword swinging. We could swing some swords. Yeah, I mean, one could theorize that some of these episodes, if we want to theorize that there is, like, editing going on that's trying to be like, no, don't do this. Yeah. Then one could theorize that some of the editing may also be to downplay the amount of agency and power. Oh, like, certainly. Like, it's interesting, you know, that, like, maybe she wasn't a camp follower. Like she said, maybe she was, like, an actual, you know. Mm-hmm. There are like, some through lines that I think are easy to follow, though. So, but going from being... A plaything of a Corsair queen in the Basilisk Isles to being a slave in Old Volantis makes sense because the Basilisk, Basilisk Isles is one of the places they go to capture slaves. Mm-hmm. So that's like an easy transition, right? She could easily be captured as a slave as yep. part of that. Um, right. But everything, like yeah. almost everything except for the mistress of a pleasure house and lease puts her as um, subservient. Yeah. But there are probably ways that she might have had, like, if we're theorizing that there may be some editing going on, maybe mm-hmm. some of the editing is to minimize the amount of agency. Maybe instead of, like, a plaything of a Corsair queen, maybe she was, like, the, you know, just the consort. Yeah. The lover. Mm-hmm. And not, like, a plaything, which makes it sound really, like, mm-hmm. gross. And, like, deme- it sounds demeaning to yeah. call her a plaything. But maybe she was just, like, a consort. Handmaid of a Carthian warlock. What if she wasn't the handmaid? What if she was, like, the apprentice? Mm-hmm. What if right. she learned magic? What if she learned dark and spooky magic? Oh my god! So yeah, magic. there there's a way to make this really cool, and I would love for someone to please HBO, H- please HBO, water me HBO, please give, give me us Corianne Wild. That's all I want. You could call it what would what would the title of the show be? A caution for young girls. Hmm. I think it would be interesting to call it that and have it and have it be what I was saying that the alternate meaning of a caution for young girls is yeah. is like the real the real the real enemy is the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> is the enemy the patriarchy? Has that been it all along? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be great. If only we had many millions of dollars. <laughs>
Yes. Um, okay, so let's talk about Reyna. Okay, so the let's, second let's, half let's, of this section is Reyna, our girl. Let's talk about our other favorite girl this section. Oh, I love her. The other thing I want to be adapted. Oh, I um, love Reyna. Reyna is gay. Gildane finally mm-hmm. just says it. Thank God. Well, someone else says it first. Yeah, and Gildane quotes them. This is true. You make a good point. He can't actually say Reyna is gay. He's like, some other maester said she's gay. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yep. I lost That she point. found her true love. Um... The queen found her true love on Fair Isle, Maester Smike. Sure. <laughs> Maester Smike wrote to the Citadel, not with Andro, but with his sister, Lady Alyssa. Yes! Yes, yes! Lady Alyssa, whose ship is called the Maiden's Fancy. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you get it? <laughs> it's a gay it's a, joke. It's gay. Because she Like the wise gay. women. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh... Yeah, so they they're great. They've got they've got the polycule. They're uh-huh. like living the court life. Everybody comes yeah. to see the queen. Yeah, so it says that together with Elaine Royce and Samantha Stokeworth, two of Raina's oldest friends, they became nigh inseparable. Man, I wanna watch that. <laughs> yeah, Raina with her three girlfriends. Come on, All HBO. A, right. a lesbian like, foursome. How we can't give you anything oh better. God. Right? And, like, Andrew's also there sometimes. <laughs> Andrew's standing in the room watching. <laughs> He's like, and I am a... also here. I am also Ooh. here. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Queen Reyna takes all of her girlfriends flying um, mm-hmm. on, on Dreamfire, which she never does with her husband. Well, do you think? I think he probably just said no. Yeah! Like, I do happen to believe the, the Maester's parenthetical where he says, it's more than possible that the queen invited Andro and he said no. I was like, yeah, yeah I believe it. Because, like, as of as of this point, she doesn't have animosity towards Andro Farman. No. And when when asked why she married him, she said, because he was kind to me. Yeah! like, oh, that's so nice of you. Do you think she's fucked Andro for- Farman? I think it's possible, but not often. That's where I land on it, too. Yeah. That, I think like, she does, I, but not frequently. Yeah, but not frequently. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. But other than that, he just seems like the best beard. Um, Because that's really what he is. Yeah. Like, he's a beard. But he's, like, one of the best ones. Because, like, I'm, I was thinking about what value Andro has as a beard. Mm-hmm. Like, not just because you she's actually fucking his sister, which is, like, a really good reason to pick him as a beard, mm-hmm. because then you get to hang out with his sister all the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, what other value? Like, this is the husband that she chose. This is the first husband she chose. She was married to Aegon as part of, like, that was what Aenys wanted. Aenys wanted his kids to do the Targancest thing, so he married Aegon and Reyna. Um, her second marriage was forcible. She didn't have a choice. She was married to Magor. Mm-hmm. So this is the first partner that she's chosen. And so I feel like this will, t- like, why she chooses him is really significant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, the fact that he's described as being very gentle, um, uh, there were, the, it says there were those who scorned, scorned him as half a girl himself, for he was soft of speech and gentle of nature. Um, he had never become a knight, having none of the martial skills of his father, um, he wasn't clever enough to forge a maester's change, could hardly read or write. Um, so, okay, so we get this picture. He's a sweet boy, kind mm-hmm. of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, not violent, though. Yeah. So, ten, like... Ten years younger than she is. Yeah, he's ten years younger. Yeah. Um, 
He's sweet and dumb and gentle. He's not likely to be violent, unlike Magor or any other, like, man who bought into the, you know, toxic masculinity of Westeros. He's mm-hmm. not, he seems less likely to be, like, a Rogar Baratheon. Like, he's kind. He's a nice guy. It's also, it's not just violent, so he's not likely to be political. Yes. He's not yep. the firstborn son. Yep. He doesn't need an heir to inherit anything. Yes. He's not going to participate in the Game of Thrones. You know, Reyna's, like, bought out of this shit. She's like, you didn't want me to be queen. Fuck you. I'm going to go live on my island with my wonderful polycule family. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't want to be part of this. You know, right. I don't want to be part of this political game anymore. And he's perfect for that. Right. And so far, like, be, him being younger and a second son um, and not Marshall mm-hmm. also means he's less likely to, like, force sex on her mm-hmm. very likely mm-hmm. everything about him seems like he's not the kind of guy who would be like well you must fuck me tonight or yeah. else that and that was it's not exactly the same but it was reminding me a lot of rainier's relationship with Lenor. even though Lenor's gay mm-hmm. so like the you know like in house of the dragon and in fire and blood Lenor's gay mm-hmm. spoilers um <laughs> those children are very illegitimate gretchen i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> I'm a, I'm a legitimate children truther. <laughs> uh huh. Sure. Um, we are not of one brain. Anyway, um, I'm not a legitimate so yeah. children truther. That is a yes, joke. For um, so like, Leonor's gay, but like, Leonor is also like a sweet, gentle, not martial dude. Yeah. That, like, if you take away the fact that Leonor is gay, Leonor and Andro have a lot in common. Yeah. As a consort to a Targaryen queen who wants to have a lot of her own sexual and political agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, that like, is. Yeah. So it's a very smart choice. It's a choice that says a lot about what Reyna wants. That what Reyna wants is sexual and political agency. She mm-hmm. wants to be the one making the decisions about where they go and what they do and also who she fucks. Mm-hmm. And, like, if that's what you want, Andro's a perfect choice for her. Yeah. He's not likely at this point in time. Um, he's not, he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would assert himself against her wishes. It's sort of interesting because I, it makes me think about, like, who, who else, how, how do you have that kind of situation in Westeros where the woman wants to be in charge and not even in charge of necessarily everyone around her, but, like, of herself. Right. And have a husband. Like, mm-hmm. in modern times, you could have, like, like, people that are married that are equal. Like, my brother and sister-in-law, for example, are, like, the same fucking person. And they really are. It's very strange. Um, but I would consider them to be both extremely equal in their marriage. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a, an equal level of respect and dignity, etc., between the two of them. And they, so far, right. so good. Have had a very successful marriage. You don't get that in Westeros. Mm-hmm. I can't think of an example. I mean, the closest example I can think of is going to be Jaehaerys and Alysanne. Mm-hmm. But... There's like I like Ned and Catelyn, but Ned yeah. and Catelyn, but Ned and Catelyn very much fulfill their gendered roles. Right, they just happen to be mostly happy. They're with content their with gen- it. Yeah, yeah, they're content with their gendered roles. Like they work right. well as a team. Right. And even though she's definitely the political, she's definitely the brains of that marriage. She's the neck and he's the head, though. Yeah, and Always, like he's yeah. he's fine with her being the neck. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of goes off the rails when she's not there. Well, because there's no neck there for him. him. He's to just help that, him make decisions. That he's just a head and then he has no head. Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> <laughs> so, but He was metaphorically just a head and then became just a head. Ooh, uh-oh. 
Um, um, mm-hmm. But like, but like, what other choice did Reyna have? She right. couldn't marry anyone who no. was like of like equal status to her because Mm-mm. if she married someone of equal status to her by virtue of being a woman, he she would be below him. Yep. So the yep. only way she could do this was to marry someone who was quite below her socially. Yep. And not just socially, like, politically, but socially, like, age-wise. Like, she was uh-huh. he was 17 when they get married. I think she was 29 or 26. She was 26. So she's They're not like, yet, nine, nine years, years apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, imagine being 26 and dating a 17-year-old. <laughs> like, they're worried about going to prom. No, thank you. Yeah. Like, they, just the, the mental difference between mm-hmm. the, that age. She's right. at such an advantage, mm-hmm. at least for the first few years of their marriage, being... Yep. Like the real adult there, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what choice did she have? She could, there was no one else. Right, right. And so it's interesting, like, it's interesting the way that that reflects on the difference between how Alyssa, uh, like, again, the difference between how Alyssa and Raina are thinking about what it means to have power. Mm-hmm. That, like, Alyssa is thinking about, um, like, she is willing to compromise in a husband if she's closer to the center of power yeah um and that's how she is gating she's thinking about power and i think at a just like they're just thinking about it differently that reina's like well the way that i made keep power is to marry someone that i have clear power over Mm -hmm. that like is socially you know that like can't boss me around right and Alyssa's way to do it is to like marry someone who is of her station and has power in Westeros but is dumb enough that she can like right that she can manipulate him and like that she like, can manipulate and make he, her own plans and he's not going to notice and he, his status helps give her more more solidified power as well whereas Reyna right. is just like I am power and uh-huh. you are lucky to be in my presence right kind of thing you got me you got me thinking about something Gretchen because ever since you pointed out the pattern of of Reina's and Rhaenyra's and Rhaenys's, whatever, being disempowered. You got me on a names thing now. Mm-hmm. Where whenever people have similar names, I'm like, is there a thing? Are we doing something? Mm. And I have, I posit this to you. Alyssa, Alisan, and Alicent. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. I think you're right. There's something happening there. We're going to need the rest of Alicent's story, I think, to, to do more analysis on that. But there's something happening with these mm-hmm. alleys. These mm-hmm. alleys are, like, all kind of fitting into the same little tropes. Uh-huh. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's another alley I'm thinking of who might fit into that as well. Which one? Black Black Alley. Black Alley. Black Alley, mm-hmm. Blackwood. Yeah. Even though, even though she's definitely bisexual. Oh, like, I love she, Black She alley. marries into power. Yeah, she does. In, that, in a similar kind of way. Yeah. Huh. I, I want to, we should keep tabs on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so yeah. Like the the Reinas are the disempowered. Like are the disempowered ones, and the alleys are the are the the, the alleys are the allies of patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no. But no. I think you're right. That yeah. Because like that. I mean, I keep messing up Alison and Alyssa. Um. Because they're so yeah, close. They're very. And it is worth sister. noting that it, this is Elissa Farman. It is not an yes. Alyssa. It's. E L I S S A instead of A L Y S S A. Thank you, George. Maybe you can think of some different names so that like you don't have all these characters that are the same. In the I must same. say, Alyssa with an E is my is like my favorite way to spell that name. I love the name Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's Alyssa, not Alyssa. Not Alyssa. It's different. It's different. Damn it. Very, very different. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Um, Alyssa Farman. Uh, oh, yeah. You had the note about the air and the sea that you have. Like, oh, the, you yeah. Have, like, the dragon, like the dragons and then the the boats. Yeah. So, like, the, these alliances of air and water um, mm-hmm. is very important. Like, the Targaryens and the Valerians, you know, up yep. until through the dance are, you know, very close because one is the master of the air and one is the master of the sea. And Reyna and Elissa Farman have that kind of same dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that they are so close mm-hmm. is that they um, both have agency through having the, like, the power to move themselves. Yeah. To, to, to physically travel, which is something that women, highborn women in Westeros, do not have. You yep. are kept in certain castles. You are told where to go. I mean, even Cersei in A Song of Ice and Fire is threatened with being sent back to Casterly Rock. She's a grown woman in her 30s, and someone's like, we're going to send you back to Casterly Rock. You don't need to be here. Bark. Why bark, is my bark. bark? Sorry, I have my brother's dogs here. Hi, sweetie. I can Now I can't edit it out because it's in the middle of my sentence. Thank you. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I'll just be in the episode. It's fine. Um, but, oh, now, now you'll have a lot of opinions. It's okay, sweetie. I'm not playing with you right now. I'm doing a podcast. Please leave me alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that they, in a lot of ways, Reyna and Alyssa, she's just moaning in the background. Do you hear him? <laughs> I do. <laughs> he wants me to play. Oh, no, no, sweetie. play with me. No, I can't. Please leave me alone. Um, Reyna and Alyssa, in a lot of ways, are equals mm-hmm. because of that. Yep. And that's as close as you're going to get to being equal to a dragon rider. Yep. You know? Yep. I'm, th- I'm also thinking of Asha Greyjoy. Yeah. Who's exactly. very similar to Alyssa Farman. Yep. Um, in that she's able to have agency because, yeah, be- I think you're right. I think that's a really good point. And I do think that symbolically, Martin often parallels boats and dragons in other yes. ways. Yeah, absolutely. That, like, the Valarians don't have actual dragons, but they have boats. Mm-hmm. And they like, and that's like a similar function. They're like the sea dragons. They're the sea um, dragons. <laughs> yeah, boats. Boats are sea dragons. <clears throat> um, I mean, it, it's kind of it's sort of the historical parallel would be like your World War One, World War Two battles, where like mm-hmm. um, the control of the sea and control of the air is what yep. won both of those wars, mm-hmm. right? So, and that's when like we particularly in World War Two when we really pushed planes uh, to be what they are now. Um, mm-hmm was vital to success there and it's the same way in westeros you know you go you don't have a machine for a plane but you have a dragon so right you know it makes sense and the greyjoys even explicitly talk about like every man is a king of his own ship yeah i and yeah i mean and if you watch if you watch a show like black sails you can learn more about the relationships between men and their captains and their quartermasters oh i love black sails it's so good how much would you kill? How many people would you kill? I at least would kill two. How many people would you kill to have an adaptation of Alyssa Farman's life story from her point of view? I would take at least two bodies for that. I think it'd be worth it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I could think of some bodies that no one would miss. Right. This is all hyperbolic, by the way, from our FBI right. agents. We're not actually conspiring to commit murder. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're not actually conspiring to, like, I don't know, take out some politicians who are making America worse. The title for the adaptation, what, what would it be? Maiden's Fancy. <laughs> no, that's an episode title. <laughs> that's an ep- you're right, that's an episode title. 
Um. Mmm. Oh, I don't know. That's a really good question. Do you have thoughts? I was thinking fair winds. Ooh, like yeah. Fair, fair Isle, the Farmans. Fair winds is like a sea term. Uh-huh. It kind of covered it. And it would be about Alyssa Farman, not mm -hmm. about Reyna. So, I mean, she would show up. Yeah, obviously. Because Alyssa, as we'll see later on, has more story after after this point. Um, so, yeah, that's what I want. And we can, yeah. I, and she could become Quaith, and all my dreams would be satisfied. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. I'd be happy. Damn it, HBO! Damn it, <laughs> HBO. Um, Over here, just piled high with ideas. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about Frank earlier. I feel like we got to give some mention to Frank and his toxic masculinity when we're talking about what really happened. It what really happened. I wonder um, who Frank was in George R. R. Martin's life to be for this guy to be named Frank in this book. Frank. <laughs> oh God. Was that, I bet you it's like one of his editors or something? <laughs> oh my, that would be really funny. That would be hilarious. Um. But yeah, like it's definitely, he definitely resents that people aren't coming to see him. Oh, that yeah. this is not just about like, well, I want to marry my sister off, which it definitely is. He wa he wants to have patriarchal control mm -hmm. and uh, Reyna's getting in the way of him marrying his sister off, which he believes that he could do when his dad failed. And again, the disempowerment of women disempowers us all. If he had mm -hmm. just embraced the fact that the queen in the West was living at his castle right holy shit he could get lords coming he'd be making deals with people he could be having hosting parties bringing money in like mm -hmm. increasing the wealth of his house i mean it'd be so easy to do right and he's like but my dick you right. know it's, right the patriarchy says my dick puts me in charge right Ugh. and like no one was saying you weren't in charge buddy like just you know maybe do something from behind the scenes like plenty of women have done before you yeah, right? But he's just so clearly mad that, like, all the lords are coming to Fair Isle and they're not coming to see him. No, he's not the most important one. And it literally destroys his it destroys his household. Well, not permanently. I mean, the fair the fairman farmen still exist. But, like, his sister leaves. His people turn against him. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Reyna takes all these people with her when she leaves because people like her. <laughs> right. Yes. Like, he loses any potential power and influence he could have had in that situation. Yeah. Because his patriarchy brain won't let him, won't let him imagine, like, won't let him allow space to, like, not be the most important person mm -hmm. in the room. Or at least not be the center of attention. Yeah. Like, you know, he could be, the, like, I would argue that at the Red Keep, the most important person is Alyssa Valarian mm -hmm. right now. Yes. But she's not the center of attention. Uh -huh. People are like, oh, you know, Rogar Baratheon's the hand. Jaehaerys is the king, that kind of stuff. But she's the uh -huh. one during the regency who's doing, like, the actual ruling, right? Right. So it's like you can be important and just, like, it's okay if people don't acknowledge it. You know, you don't need to get lots of likes on your post on Instagram, buddy. <laughs> like, just, just run the page. Like, it's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you believe the moment where the maesters, like, Okay, Reyna was totally about to do a murder on Frank. I mean, I think she probably gave him a really nasty look, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that she she was... I mean, I, the, the maester describes it as like he could see like the fire in her eyes or some such. Yeah, I could see the fire in her eyes. And for a moment, I could see Faircastle burning. The white towers blackening and collapsing into the sea as flames leapt from every window and the dragon wheeled about again and again. 
I mean, I don't know that Reyna was thinking that, but if Reyna knew the Maester was thinking that, she would be very pleased. Because mm-hmm. that's the right. point. That's the point of having the dragons. She doesn't ever actually have to do that. She didn't actually have to burn Faircastle. Right. But there's always that threat. Yeah, it just, that felt like a tiny bit of like, well, we know that she, well, we believe that she's a spooky, scary lady. So clearly she couldn't have just been like, okay, guess, peace out, yo. Guess I'm going where I'm wanted. That like, she has mm-hmm. to be like, secretly dangerous because eventually we're going to say that she's a spooky scary lady who wants to murder all the people i don't think reyna is secretly dangerous i think reyna is blatantly dangerous though uh-huh like i i all, all of our spooky scary ladies she's probably the closest to being actually spooky scary <laughs> she's uh, probably our most legit spooky scary lady <laughs> so um, far yeah yeah well i mean i don't know visenya was spooky scary but not was like was actually straight up Marshall. I think in a way that they found spooky scary. But I think that Reyna has been ground down by the patriarchy more than Visenya ever was. Yep. And yep. that anger and resentment is a difficult emotion to deal with mm-hmm. when you also have access to a dragon and no fucks to give. Right. You know, I do think that's a more dangerous combination than Visenya, who, whatever the Maester thinks, was in fact ruling the Seven Kingdoms as at one point. Right, like, if there are ways that some, like, eventually Reyna's, some of Reyna's behavior starts to look a bit like Cersei's, mm-hmm. um, whether or not, if, if some of that is true, I think it comes from a similar place as Cersei. Because that's yeah. one of the reasons why I find Cersei so deeply relatable mm-hmm. and fascinating, because yeah. she is the monster that patriarchy has made her to be. Right, exactly. She just reaches a point where she's like, fine, all you hate me? You say I'm a woman? Like, if you're going to do all these terrible things to me and call me all these terrible names and treat me like shit, fine, I will be the monster that patriarchy is afraid of. And I think it's something similar to Alicent and where Alicent will go uh-huh. as um, House of the Dragon unfolds. Uh, that that constant trying to, and I come back to this a lot because it's, it's I think, a feeling that a lot of people in the patriarchy, especially a lot of, uh, women or people that are side female at birth experience mm-hmm. of constantly trying to do stuff and like being right over and over and just either not being listened to or being looked over or not being given credit and like the people around you just like not cooperating with like you what you're trying to tell them to do and what and like the good advice you're giving and reina mm-hmm. like reina would have been a great queen she had all right. the makings of an excellent queen and she was passed over not only by like the people of Westeros and like Rogar Baratheon, but by her mother and her younger mm. siblings. And her younger siblings who were like, yeah, obviously it's Jaharis, you know? And it, it's it's such it's definitely complicated to have your whole life just be ground to be ground down like that, be ground down by the patriarchy right. like that. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I do think she has the problem of having that trauma right managing to break away from it by removing herself from politics pretty much Mm -hmm. um but still being very capable of physical violence as needed right and i think that like i agree with everything that you're saying and that she is she's got so much in my mind justifiable bitterness Mm -hmm. at the way that her life has gone 
yeah the way that she's been treated mm-hmm. um you know everything with magor you know the way that she was overlooked for the crown again and again and again and and that i think that it makes her deeply relatable and also really uncomfortable for people yeah. who um tend to approach oppression with a mind towards tone policing hmm okay okay unpack that for me because i didn't so um a lot of people who have power i'm saying this both like i think within westeros and Mm. within our world Mm -hmm. um especially people who are from let's say the dominant caste whether Mm -hmm. that be white or male or wealthy or whatever combination thereof um really would prefer that if you're going to resist you do it nicely oh yes oh i fight with people on the internet all the time about this yes go on and so a character like reyna is going to be really uncomfortable for people who want you to resist nicely mm-hmm. because she doesn't want to resist nicely. right and she doesn't have to she doesn't want yes because she, she has a dragon because she could she, eat you yeah she yeah. could she yes she mm-hmm. has enough power to actually fight back in a way that is legitimate and therefore frightening mm-hmm. to people who have power. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a big reason why she starts to be considered a spooky, scary lady. Because she is an actual threat. Well, doesn't that make, doesn't that actually make her a spooky, scary lady, though? To be an actual, like, what is, what is a spooky, scary lady? What did we say? They have to be uh, queer. They uh-huh. have to be an older sister. Uh-huh. And they have to have a dragon, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and she's all those things. She's all those things. I mean, she she is, in fact, a spooky, scary lady because she is, in fact, very dangerous. Right, and right. And completely she is, untethered. Yes. She has no ties under patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, she's not, you Where know, are she's her not. daughters right now? Um, Aria is in the capital, or quote-unquote Aria. Aria is in the capital, and the other one's in the um, sept. And Ra- and Rayla is in Old Town. Okay, yeah. Learning how to be a Septa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like she she's not tied to heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not tied to um. Uh, she she's from a, a house that is not subservient to any other. She's from the ruling house, so she like there's no no one could step in and be like, hey, well you're a wild and you are from you know and we're the Baratheons, so you have to submit to our house because mm-hmm. we're more powerful. Yep. She's from the most powerful house. She has no house more powerful. Um, and, and she's she, got a fucking dragon. Yeah, and I mean in terms of her daughters, at this point, she's been separated from them for so long mm-hmm. right? that. Like, and this was something I was thinking about, actually, when we talked earlier. I I, I, I big question mark over how much Reyna is, like, really attached to these kids. Yeah. Because um, she switches the twins, right? Uh-huh. So, originally, right, it was real Aria in King's Landing with her. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one's name? Rayella. Rayella. Uh, and real Rayella in the Sept. And they get together for the wedding, Mm-hmm. And it's obvious the girls are not suited to their them. roles. So yeah. she swaps them. Which means she's taken the kid that she primarily lived with and sent her away permanently. Mm-hmm. And took mm-hmm. back the other kid she doesn't really know. Right. And then shortly thereafter leaves and goes to Faircastle. So, yeah, she's not in touch. She's not exactly maternal. The way yeah. that, like, Alyssa is, like, clearly deeply attached to her role as a mother and reyna right. does not seem to be attached to her role as a mother at all i think you're right yeah 
But but she's made decisions in the past, like she didn't go fight with Aegon under the god's right. eye because she said like, well, I'm not gonna abandon, I'm not gonna risk these girls for you. Mm-hmm. But now she like doesn't seem to care about these girls. Right. So I don't know if it's just that time has passed, like they were infants back then. She had just given birth to them, mm-hmm. um, whereas now many years have passed and they're older and they've been far away. Um, mm-hmm. And right. and highborn ladies are not always encouraged to be very close to their children. Yeah. Um. So it could it could be that. But like my point being, it's not even like you know her mom could be like, well, we have your daughter, so behave. Mm-hmm. You know, because Reyna, because Reyna would just be like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna murder the heir to the throne, right? You're, You're gonna, gonna murder, murder your, your own your, your grandchild, your grandkids. No, you not. Uh huh. Right. Right. Yeah. There's there's very little like. The only way to really get at Reyna would be through like one of her lovers. Yeah, that would be just kidnap one of her girlfriends. <laughs> yep. Um, which would also imply recognizing that you recognize what they are. <laughs> um but yeah no like she she is a legitimate threat under patriarchy Mm -hmm. um and i think it that's like some of the like things said against her are true in terms of the way patriarchy views her yeah you know like she like under patriarchy she's a spooky scary lady in real life she's a bitter woman who has been you know who's had a lot of things taken away from her because because of patriarchy i mean she's a spooky scary lady with whom i i relate yes you know like she's a spooky scary lady who i understand innately Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the best kind of spooky scary lady right yep she's not a sorceress she's not ensorcelling letters or anything you know (laughs) she's sick of this shit yep recognize that it's shit and fighting against it and that's probably that's that's actually probably makes her scarier than mm-hmm. if she was just a sorceress, right? Like she's right. actually exuding agency against the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. That's and that's terrifying. Yeah, to the patriarchy. Yes, to the patriarchy. Yeah. She's deeply terrifying, and like from here on out, uh, she's only gonna get scarier. Uh, it's, 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 and I am super excited. I'm so excited. I love her so I much. I love Reyna. Burn it down, baby. <laughs> If she yes. burned it down, I would be the one going, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Good job. Great. Good job. Burn it down. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to get the polycule together. We're going to go out for pizza after. Uh-huh. Yep. Good job. Uh, okay. Uh, speaking of the polycule, before we move on. Yes. Are Samantha Stokeworth and Elaine Royce married? I can't remember if they're ma- So, like, I was reading this and going, I can't remember if they're married. Like, if they are... Are there husbands there or are they not married Ooh. and they're just hanging out? And like, I cannot for the life of me I don't remember. Think, I don't think Samantha Stokeworth has ever been mentioned as being married. Elaine Royce might have been. Wasn't there? Who's the one that died with the God's Eye? Because she had another girlfriend who died. Oh. Oh, who Shoot. was that? I thought that was Elaine Royce, but I'm wrong. That was Melanie that was Piper. Melanie Piper. Okay, Piper was the sister of someone. I thought Elaine Royce might have been married, but I could be wrong. I might be getting my voices confused. Right. Um, but I don't think Sam Stokeworth. Sam Stokeworth was somebody's daughter in court. That was like uh, one of the, her earliest girlfriends, right? 
Yeah. The daughter of the Hand of the King, Alan Stokeworth, who was the Hand of the King under Aegon the First. Um Yeah, I'm looking this up to see if she like if she get married and I forgot. Um and I don't think so. Um good for her. Yeah, good for her. She I don't think she ever got married, which is fantastic. Um good for her. She stayed single. Sounds like she doesn't need to get married. Um I mean if maybe her maybe Al- maybe Alan Stokeworth is a lot like Mark Farman who was like live your life sweetie i love you have fun yeah. with your dragon girlfriend yeah um elaine royce because yeah that's what i, I think it was because melanie piper was making me thinking that are any of these married because melanie got married melanie piper was married and that's what was really interesting was like she was married and she just like brought her she husband, brought her husband out with right, her girlf- you're right go yes. hang out with her girlfriend yes and then she went to battle um the gayest yeah, thing that happened she... in the story so far did she get married? I don't see that she ever gets married either. Mm. Um, yeah, she is not noted as ever having gotten married. So, like, <laughs> just nice, Melanie. Raina. So, yeah, just Melanie Piper was the only one of the girlfriends that we know of that got mm-hmm. married. And her husband seemed to be okay with this. Yeah. And then she died. Um, but, yeah, Elaine and Samantha are not married. They're just, like, her they're just her girlfriend. Kind of like Alyssa Farman. They're just all like, we're not going to get married. We'll just all hang out with each other. Yeah. We're married to each other. We, we're having, we're busy having court right now. Uh, um, there is a really lovely um, artwork, if you go to a wiki of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. um, that shows, it's called The Four-Headed Beast. And oh it's got God. Raina and Alyssa Wait, and Samantha and it? Elaine. Can you yes. send it to me? Um, I want to see It's this. so good. So for people who are listening... Um, go look at this picture. It's very, very good. Uh, maybe we can share it on our Instagram. Yeah, maybe. And it is by, the artist's name is Warp Speed. Our, our Instagram, which is, uh, what's our Instagram again? House of Fire and Blood Podcast. There you go. House of Fire and Blood Instagram. Aw, this is so cute. What? They look so cute. The Four-Headed Beast, Raina Targaryen, Alyssa Farman, Samantha Stowark, and Elaine Royce. Uh-huh. Which one do you think is which? Alyssa Farman is the one right behind Reyna. Yeah, she's the one in blue because she's got flaxen hair and blue eyes. Blue eyes, yeah. Um, okay. Samantha Stokework has brown hair and brown eyes, so she's the one on the left. Yeah, so and also because... No, well, I was thinking that it might be house colors. Because um, House Stokeworth is has, like, green and white, so I was thinking that the one in the very back was Stokeworth. Oh, but she looks um, like she has red hair. Um, and then Elaine Royce, like House Royce, is like a coppery color. Um, oh, maybe I don't know. So that's I was wondering if that was what they did, um, and that it might be listing the names counterclockwise. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, oh, look at Reyna Targaryen. I would be in her polycule. Oh my god, right? Like, yeah, she's second. beautiful in Boom. this picture. We're just like looking at a drawing someone made on the internet. <laughs> it's very good. Anyway, it's by Warp Speed. We will try and I'll see if I can find a way to get it up. Um, Maybe the person, uh, maybe Warp Speed has shared it on Instagram. I'll try and find it. But yeah, yeah it's very good. Yes. Um, we do Yeah, this looks like it. a great polycule. Love yes. to see it. They look very happy together. Um, good just, for them. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, okay, so in terms of who gets shafted, we already kind of we talked a lot about Corey and Wild. 
Um, I mostly did. Yeah, like I, I was thinking that she gets shafted because she does not deserve to have become a, a cautionary tale about slut shaming. Yeah, but she's also famous now. So, but yeah, she's famous, so that's cool. Um, and and speaking of our girlfriends, Samantha Stock, Stokeworth, and Elaine Royce, I don't know if we ever hear. I mean, we hear about them again later. But like, what is their life like? What are they doing? What are they interested in? I know what they're doing. I mean, <laughs> yes. Other than having sex with Raina. What else do you need to do besides that? <laughs> what other I just want to know more about her girlfriends. Like, we know that Melanie Piper was a badass sword lesbian. Mm-hmm. Or sword queer. I don't, we, I don't know if she was a lesbian. I won't put that label on her. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Melanie Piper, you know, would, wanted to lead the vanguard. Mm-hmm. And, like, Samantha Stokeworth and Elaine Royce are, like, there. And I'm, like, I mostly just want to know. But, like, clearly Archmaester Gildane is not interested in these women's lives. I also want to know, is this a polycule where, like, everyone's in a relationship with each other? Or are they all just in a relationship with Reyna? Right? I imagine they're all in a relationship with each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. I, I agree like a, with you. And not a thruple. What would it be? Like a quadruple? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Good this for is, them. This is... I'm trying to think about the, uh, the equivalent of triad. Quad? quad? Is it just a quad? Is it a quad? That, does, that sounds like we're going to the gym. I don't know. Yeah, I know it does. Like, I think of quad and I think of college. But yeah, this is... Yeah. This, yeah. It's a... Um, yeah. It's a tetrahedron. <laughs> fun fun fact. Side fun fact about quad. <laughs> uh, at Rutgers University, the wonderful university to which I attended, uh, mm-hmm. there's a place where they put all the freshmen in these horrible dorm buildings that are shaped like prison cells. Um, and it's called, the, it's called the quads. Um, and it's like a large, a large square area, and in three of the corners there are large square buildings, and there is no fourth building, so there are three quads, and I'm like, you fucked up, buddy. Four. <laughs> quad means four. <laughs> yeah. So there's quad, there's quad one, two, and three, and like with, with freshmen. You could fuck with them and be like, oh yeah, go to quad four. That's where you could find less and such. And they can never find it because it doesn't exist. There is no quad four. <laughs> Maybe uh, they intended to build a quad four and run out of money. They'll never run out of money. They they own most of New Jersey at this point. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why there's only three quads. Don't ask me questions. I never understood anything Rutgers did. But anyway, alas. Uh-huh. Uh, connections to a song of ice and fire. Danny's eggs. What, whatever do you mean, Danny's eggs? Danny's are these eggs Danny's are, eggs. The, the Danny's eggs are from Man Magister Illyrio, and they are magic. Uh, we will have to come back to this theory when we'll we read more back. about Alyssa Farman. But how, I just how want could it these, noted here. How could these eggs that Reyna Targaryen has with her possibly make it to Essos? How could that be a thing? How could that be a thing? I mean. I don't know. I mean, even though she has a girlfriend who um, explicitly says she wants to go beyond the Western Horizon and sail the Gretchen, seas and how visit faraway places, there's no, <laughs> there's no other way that would happen. There's no other way. There's no other way. There's nothing at all. But anyway, there, I love the symbolism of it. <laughs> is there any? Is there any significance to the fact that they're Dreamfire's eggs? I like the idea. I like it because of. Like, the thematic continuity of, like, Reyna as a dispossessed heir under patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And then Danny having her, her eggs would, like, tie them together. As, yeah. like, Danny as, like, a thematic fulfillment of all of the things that Reyna never got to have. 
mm-hmm. and never got to be. Yeah. But, like, Danny comes along and is, like, fulfilling. Um, <laughs> I love how sad your dog sounds. Do you the dog hear sounds. him? You know, oh. he wants to go outside. He just goes, oh, yeah, looking at you. Oh. I'm almost done. You can yep. wait. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that, like, the significance is in the fact that it would tie Reyna and Danny directly to each other and put and make Danny out to be like the the thematic heir to Reyna as this like er mm-hmm. dispossessed female heir under Targaryen patriarchy and Danny coming along having Dreamfire's eggs and going what if I burnt it down and I think it it gives it's it's Reyna over many like hundreds of years later Reyna directly providing the tools to Danny that she needs mm-hmm. to right. fight the patriarchy. Right. Literally. Right. And it should be noted that Reyna was also the one who decided to start putting dragon eggs in, in the baby's cradles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, it is within also the characterization of Reyna as someone who, like, gives power to others. Mm-hmm. She empowers other people because dragons are power. So, like, by giving... The dragon eggs to Jaharis and Alisa, and she's she is in that sense like empowering them, mm-hmm. creating the system of empowerment for like the Targaryen children, and so it would also fit in that way too. That like she is providing the tools for Danny, she's empowering Danny yep. to become the person that Danny will become. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that. I, I just think that that would be really resonant here. I also really like the fact that, like, and obviously this is a magic element to it, like, because the eggs, like, go unhatched for so long, mm-hmm. there's a tie from, like, one of the, like, OG Targaryens to, like, mm-hmm. many generations later to Daenerys, I think is, I like stuff like that. I like the, the intersection of, like, old and new right. kind, of, kind of things. Right, and that fits really nicely in, like, your theme about how, um, you know, the disempowerment of women disempowers us all and how we are seeing that, like, Westeros, the patriarchy under Westeros gets worse over time. Yeah. But like Danny, in order to fight it, has to reach back across mm. centuries to a time when women had more power. Yeah. To empower herself because things have gotten so bad in Westeros that, like, in order to find the power to fight it, it has to be from, like, an ancestor from like over like an ancient years ago. power yeah like yeah she's power. reaching yeah reaching back and finding an ancient power from a woman who had power in yeah. some of the earliest days in order to bring them i just i just think it works so well it's something very there's something kind of um very almost naturalistic and witchy about that too like reaching back mm. to an ancient power mm-hmm. uh that i like a lot right right and it's also like that women like women empowering other women like martin would be including an element of like Danny doesn't just get her power because a cheesemonger happened to have magic eggs. Like, yeah. she doesn't get power from some random dude who happened to have eggs what? to sell her. What? <laughs> I'm so, what? That's amazing. <laughs> but that the origin of this power, which has been usurped and controlled by men for a long period of time, is actually another woman. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. We love to see it. Oh. So yeah, I hope I don't know if Martin will ever confirm it or if he's ever if he's just gonna like leave it as like a breadcrumb trail that people can follow, but without ever being officially confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's one of those where like I believe it. Headcanon accepted. Yes, headcanon accepted. Um, all right. I so yeah, to- so yeah. In the visual adaptation of of this part of the story, um, there would be a chest of eggs and it would open and they would be green, green and white and black. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's like, wow, the colors are so beautiful. And then, and then, and then, the, like the prophecy theme music would play about oh, and, oh, and oh, yes, oh, oh, oh. No, that's not it. Yeah, is yeah. that it? Damn, no, I was it's not. I it's get close. the. I always get the wrong one. You know what I mean. <laughs> I do know what you mean, but that that would play in the background, and we would be like, oh, it's Danny's it. Yes. Uh, let's talk about themes. Yeah. Um, oh my god, this dog. Oh. Sweetie. Before I we before you. we wrap up themes, we have one uh-huh. other tie to A Song of Ice and Fire is the Lannister plot. That uh-huh. like we're we see this like plot by the Lannisters who are like, what if we could try to take over the throne through Reyna? Um mm-hmm. and just like the the tie-in to A Song of Ice and Fire is by the time you get to A Song of Ice and Fire, they've done it! They have been oh, successful. Yeah, they they have, have actually become more powerful. Like it, the text explicitly says they want to become more powerful than the High Towers, Baratheons, and Valarians. And by the time of A Song of Ice and Fire, they have in fact become more powerful than all these houses. And they have taken over the throne via Cersei and her full Lannister children. So sometimes like this is the beginning. To, sometimes we have to play the very long Game of Thrones. <laughs> the very, very long, like 150 year Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> but they do it starts here ends in ends with cersei so thebes we have them um yeah. powerful women perceived as pawns under patriarchy Ooh, say that sentence four five times fast yeah powerful I women felt- perceived as pawns under patriarchy boom yeah, i love it's got lots, lots of nice nice bilabial plosives in there yeah i love that i was gonna say letter p's but uh, the way you said it, it much, much <laughs> i'm just smarter. using the fancy linguistic term for that it's fine I thought of this at the very end of this section because I feel like we've also t- we've already kind of touched on touched on thematically the way that like women's sexual agency becomes perverted mm-hmm. under like I, that came up as we were talking which I didn't originally think of but like that's another theme that we could talk about mm-hmm. but we already kind of covered it when you were talking about Coriander Wild the way that like under patriarchy women's sexual agency becomes perverted as a cautionary tale to prevent sexual agency mm-hmm. it cannot allow women to have sexual agency mm-hmm. um, but this one was really about the very end of this chapter and okay. how it's similar to how we said how sad it must have been for Alisanne to like have no friends but this is like how lonely must it be to be Reyna Targaryen but she has so many girlfriends like outside of her girlfriends but like everywhere she goes she has no real home that's true she has no true home she, other than her girlfriends, like, no one's ever going to love her for herself. Um, she's always going to be seen as a pawn by everyone around her because she's a woman and not perceived, not perceived as having her own power. Mm-hmm. So that wherever she goes, people are going to try and see her as a pawn to try and get power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That she's never allowed to just be a person who wants to live in a place with her girlfriends. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to what Allison goes through. Yeah. And House mm-hmm. of the Dragon, you know, that, like, even her father can't see her as anything but a political figure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. It also parallels a little, like, so I, I was noticed, I was picking up on the parallels with Alisanne, um, not being perceived as having agency and being very lonely because she's not allowed to form long-term attachments. Mm-hmm. Also parallels with Alyssa. Alyssa being misunderstood in how she is wielding power. Mm-hmm. Not... Like, society refuses to recognize that she is, in fact, wielding the power that she is wielding. And that's happening with Reyna. So, like, there's actually, despite the maester being like, all these women hate each other and are clearly fighting, there are actually a lot of really strong parallels between their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, despite their differences. Hmm. I mean, it makes me wonder if 
if they communicated with each other better and if they empowered each other it's just fucking dog i'm trying to make a point do you want to so- come here i'll pet you if you come here stitch come here come here come here i'll pet you so you stop making this noise i'm gonna let you outside in a minute oh, he won't come over here he's sitting in the doorway it makes <laughs> it makes me think about <laughs> yeah we really do have to end this soon don't we you got my plan to make my point no, I can't make my point. <laughs> okay, I want to make this next point, but the dog is moaning, so I'm just going to make it. <laughs> so, listeners, the dog Sorry, is fine. Everybody. He's just throwing a temper tantrum because he wants me to go outside and play with him. <laughs> so, my point is, Stitch, that it makes me think about how... <laughs> it makes me think about how if these women were communicating with each other and supporting each other... Mm-hmm. how much stronger they would be as a unit, particularly as a family right. unit. Right, right, right. In the same way that we see with Allison and Rhaenyra, that like the real, yeah. like in House of the Dragon, you and I agree, like are agreed that like the real enemy is the patriarchy. Like oh, the absolutely. real villain, the real villain of House of the Dragon is the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And the way that it is driving these two women who should be aligned and clearly love each other, the way that that is driving them apart. Mm-hmm. And that like the men on the show are tools of the patriarchy in driving you know in like generating this and fomenting this conflict but the real enemy is the patriarchy yeah because the real protagonists because there are two protagonists it's allison and rhaenyra Mm -hmm. and the thing that is standing in their way is the patriarchy and the way that the patriarchy is keeping them apart and we are seeing something very similar here that like the patriarchy is getting in the way of Alyssa and reyna coming together um same with reyna and you know, to a lesser degree, Reyna and Alisanne, they just don't know each other very well. But, mm-hmm. like, I would imagine that Reyna's resentment at being disempowered would probably keep her from connecting really strongly with Alisanne. Yeah, and if they had backed Reyna and made her queen, the mm-hmm. whole unit would have been stronger. The entire yes. family unit would have been stronger. Mm-hmm. Because there still would have been jobs and stuff for the younger children. Yep. Uh, you know, Jaharis and Alisanne, it's not like they would have been, like, thrown away. Like, Jaharis could have been, like, Prince of Dragonstone. And if he really wanted to marry his sister, fine. You know, like, there would have been, like, places for everyone in the family. But it's, like, you forced the older sister out by disempowering mm-hmm. her. And you you weakened the entire family structure through that. Right. So this touches on both of our points again. We're coming mm-hmm. back to, like, both of our main themes about this. Yeah. is like, the disempowerment of women disempowers us all. Mm-hmm. So the disempowerment of Reyna is destroying this family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, the, and that because of that... The Targaryen family is a microcosm of Westeros. That, like, disempowering Reyna is going to tear. Mm -hmm. Is going to, you know, it's creating fractures within Westeros. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. We love to see it. Yes. It all comes together. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I feel like that about wraps it up. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, if you guys want to email us, our email is houseoffireandbloodpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at House of Fire and Blood Podcast on Instagram. We post things there. Uh, Gretchen posted some of their cosplays recently. And then I'll be posting probably some stuff from, like, the Ren Fair. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so do that. It'll be fun. It'll be good. Yeah. And we started doing some, like, memes and jokes on Instagram Yeah, well. we, we do memes. We make the memes now and then. We do make the memes. Uh, Caroline the- found a really great one that, that had 
someone holding back someone else from, from wanting skulls and we were like, oh, look, it's Magor. <laughs> I think we also need to post, you need to post some pictures of that skull made of skulls that you got. Yeah, <laughs> I do. That's going to come up soon, yeah. I do. I need to find a good, like, low-key Magor yes. outfit and, and yeah, sit uh, on my red and black gamer chair with my skull of skulls. <laughs> You have to put put it on your thinking rock and sit. Yeah. Hold, hold a skull and a thinking rock. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> uh, mm. All right. All right. Until next time, guys. Remember, if you if you work hard enough, you too can be an expert in pornography. Sounds amazing. Where do I get that job? Yeah. Uh, and also, um, if you don't want to become an expert on pornography, mm. if you become an author, um, violence against female characters is only okay if you do it. Not a, an adaptation of your books with violence against female characters do it. Yep, sounds about and the, right. And, and then you might get to throw shade at the people who are doing it in a way that you don't that, like. Yeah, that might happen. Who knows? Just speculating. Complete speculation here. Complete, yep, yep. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. Complete, this is the speculation <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of what we're doing. It's not wrong. We're speculating about what exactly. could really have happened in this fake story that someone else wrote. Right, exactly. <laughs> why are we doing this scratchy <laughs> speculation a podcast yes exactly thank you for thank you for joining us for speculation the podcast yep uh, <laughs> i will talk to you next time bye everybody What is your favorite right. Starburst flavor? Red? <gasps> They're both red! Fire and blood. Da 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> it's the red Starburst. <laughs> red is my second favorite. Is your favorite? Let me guess. Pink? Yes. Yeah. Pink is my second favorite. It's a bit more tart. And I like, if I'm going to eat fruit candy, I'd prefer it to be on the slightly tartar end of oh interesting i don't I, like just straight I, up sugary sweet fruit candy for me the choice between fruit candy and chocolate candy is like a more of a texture choice than the flavor choice oh yeah i don't have a particularly good sense of taste or smell i mean and, well you probably don't have a particularly good sense of taste because you don't have a particularly good sense of smell yeah people are like oh from covid i'm like no just from like being alive <laughs> like no my body just works like this yeah my body just said, what's this taste like? I don't know. It's come in handy in my life, so mm. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I can believe it. I am one of those people who likes really strong flavors. Mm. Um, so I am constantly disappointed with, like, things that that don't have enough, like, spice or salt mm -hmm. or, you know, like, to me, the worst thing a food can be is bland. Mm. Um. I don't, I, I don't think, like, I'm a super taster. That's, like, a very specific thing. But, like, I just really like my flavors to be really concentrated and really strong. Like, I like blue cheese. I like extra sharp cheddar cheese. I like, mm. you know, spicy, like, really concentrated flavors. Um, I like really salty things. Oh, my mm. God. I just, I'm like a deer. I could eat a salt lick. <laughs> as a as a white person um i do consider salt and pepper to be spice yeah. so <laughs> i am i That's feel it. like in the, i am not the stereotypical white person about my food i am like mm. um you you eat those spicy donish peppers <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like that, I was, when I read that section, I was like, man, eggs with spicy pepper sounds really good. <laughs> you eat those spicy peppers and then all of a sudden you want sexual agency. That's, just, yep. that's exactly what's happening. Right, I mean, yes, just like, just like if you have female friends, you turn gay. If you, if you eat the spicy food, you, you develop sexual I'm agency. Eating. I just must have had spicy food as a kid. Oh my god. I must have eaten spicy That's peppers it. as a kid and now I want sexual <laughs> Oh my god, you know what it did for me? The I ate those spicy pepperoni in the Lunchables. Uh-huh. That's it. That was what did it for me. <laughs> the one spicy food I ate. <laughs> yeah. Just we're learning really valuable life lessons over here from George. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Inadvertently. All right. You introduce us, I'll just I'll just be chewing on a starburst. It's fine. Okay. <clears throat>